Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. So, are you ready to get started? I am incredibly ready to get started. I love you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. You are the birthday queen. Yay. I am the birthday cat. That's me. You're you're the birthday cat. And I like it. Perfect. And you already got flowers today. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to um one of my coworkers. And she was like, oh, because mm-hmm. I was telling them at this, like, offsite meeting that we had about Corey's best friend, Bonnie. So have I told you that she has a best friend? No. Okay, so whatever. She has a – oh, I haven't told you? No. Okay. So one time we were I was dropping her off at daycare, and she was going to be boarded over the weekend. And they were like, oh, my God, Corey's here. Like, her bestie is here. And I was like – what do you mean? They were like, Corey has a best friend. I'm sorry. And no one told me. <laughs> and I was like, who is it? And there's this picture of this. It's like a German Shepherd mix, but it's a black dog. Uh-huh. And they were like, that's Aww. Bonnie. That's her bestie. And they said. That's her best friend. Yes. And they said that they, um, that like when they're there together, they like hang out together. They go up to other dogs together. They're just like in sync you know they're both pack dogs so that's her best friend so now i'm like oh my god her her bestie bonnie i love that i'm crying bonnie and Corey. and then my coworker what a little angel i know she was like oh what are you doing for your birthday and i was like well blah 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 she was like you need a bonnie in your life (laughs) and i was like i do have one she's just three hours away (laughs) that's me i'm bonnie that's you yeah. I kind of love the name Bonnie, actually. That's a good name. It's super cute. For a dog. It's cute. It's so cute. Oh, I thought you were talking about for a kid. I also love it. I also love it. I'm not going to lie. I feel like Bonnies are always, like, fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie is a fun name. Never met a Bonnie I didn't yeah. like. They're always fun. Also, can I just... You sent me a picture last night, and I just want to talk about it for one second, because I did not know this was a thing. Jessica saw she was taking Corey on a walk and saw a porcupine in the woods. A, a giant porcupine. I did not even know, this is going to sound stupid maybe, that porcupines were in Texas. They're huge too. <laughs> I thought that was like a wild animal like in Af- Africa maybe. <laughs> like I did not. Oh, wow. <laughs> they have them in the zoo. Do they? Yes. If you have a porcupine in the zoo... Do not tell me that it's also in my backyard. It is. Because then why is it in the it's zoo? It's in my backyard. I mean, bears. They don't put raccoons in the zoo. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, can you imagine if you went to the zoo and saw a raccoon? You'd be like, "What? what is this? This is trash. And they make scary noises. Oh, yeah. They make scare, and they, like, creep. Right, so they sound like little creeping. screaming people. They're like, <laughs> I, I don't like it. Yes, yes. And... They have people hands. Yes, they do. Okay, I know you have a lot to tell me, and I'm scared. <laughs> I have a lot to tell you. Um, It's a lot. Okay, are you ready? I'm, like, super excited because it's uh, nine pages long. <laughs> this is 
I'm going to call it out now. I'm going to say it's one of the best stories I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it. Okay. Oh, okay. I love that. So, and it's very topical because all of this is happening right now. Okay. Oh, I know exactly. You know exactly what this is. What you're talking about. Yep. I do because yep. um, Michelle is obsessed with this right now. She's like up to date on this. Yes. Okay. Perfect. She's going to love this episode because I'm going to go through all the backstory. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So for those of you who aren't looking at the script and don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> um, today I'm going to take you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why I'm laughing so much. That was funny. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Today I'm going to take you guys on the wild ride that is the story of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. So let's start with this. Number one, who is mm-hmm. Elizabeth Holmes? Well, that depends on who you ask. A bitch. <laughs> A certified bitch. For most people, she was the young, brilliant founder of Theranos, a health technology company that was changing how blood tests were done forever. She's blonde. She's intense. She's always pictured in dramatic portraits wearing like Steve Jobs-esque black turtlenecks with her hair pulled back. When she goes into meetings and uh, conferences, she exudes this like youthful, vibrant energy, this confidence, and everybody thought she was like a so-called wonderkind with revolutionary ideas about healthcare because she was doing all of this when she was like 20 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. A wonderkind. What? You know what that reminds me of? The office, of course. The office. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Okay. Holmes was once called the world's youngest female self-made billionaire. She dropped out of Stanford at 19 because she said she wanted to make the world better by changing the way everyone did blood testing. However, if you ask the patients whose health relied on her faulty tests or the investor she duped out of hundreds of millions of dollars, she made lots of people's lives much worse. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So... Y'all, whenever Sydney does that, she does her hands like this. Creeper hands. I said like this, like they could see. Yeah. I'm like, you guys, you see it? It's very visual, but. She puts her hands up over her head. I do creeper hands with my fingers are all creepy and they're over my head. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So how did a 20-something Stanford dropout become one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people, get appointed to the Harvard Medical Board, and convince seasoned investors and the public that she had done something that no one else could? Today I'm going to tell you the story of Elizabeth Holmes, who is the very definition of fake it till you make it. She basically just acted like it was all working, and she was extremely convincing. That's how I do my life. (laughs) Oh, honestly? I kind of respect the hustle. I'm not going to lie. Like, she sucks. Yeah. We all know. Trash. But fake it till you make it is honestly, up until a certain point, is a very... um, That's life. It's a good strategy. Like, everybody does it, right? Um, If you're in a professional career, Mm -hmm. most Mm -hmm. people are doing it. However... At least partially. (laughs) At some point, you have to have something to back it up, right? Especially if you're getting this much money from this many people. Right. Okay. Don't lie. (laughs) You can't lie. Right. Fake it till you make it, but don't lie. There's a line there. And she crossed all over. She danced all over that line. She was tip-tapping. She was twerking on the line, if I'm being honest. Twerking! (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) As her trial kicked off last month on August 31st in California, Elizabeth now faces charges including conspiracy and fraud, which could land her up to 20 years in prison and a crazy number of fines. 
Good. But before we get into the already chaotic court proceedings that Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos collapsing in on itself like a dying star, I want to start at the very beginning, okay? So around 2003, Elizabeth popped up in the Silicon Valley scene after dropping out of college because if you're going to wear black turtlenecks and create a tech company, that's where you do it. It is. Right. She bragged about how hard she worked, how she never took vacations, and she told everyone that when she was nine years old, she had written her dad a letter that said the following, What I really want out of life is to discover something new, something that mankind didn't know was possible to do. Who says that at nine? As a nine-year-old? Ever. Like, you're either the smartest nine-year-old I think it's a lie. Oh, it's a lie for sure. Yeah. She, like, wrote that letter yesterday and, like, in her left hand, so that it's like looks like a nine-year-old. Like sloppy, yeah. I want somebody to call her out on that in court and be like, show us the letter. Where is it? Where is it, Lizzie? Where is it, Elizabeth? Show it to us. Lizington? Yeah. Where is it There's at? no letter. She's lying. And that's just like the start of her lies. If there's one thing you should take out of this story, it's that Elizabeth Holmes sold it, and she sold it well. Yeah. She told stories which turned out to be bogus of like a beloved uncle diagnosed with cancer. She told people that that was the drive behind her creating instruments that help people catch diseases so people didn't have to lose their loved ones before their time, basically. Wow. And then people who knew her as a kid were like, she wasn't even close with her uncle. Oh my God. Corey's mad. Did you hear? I heard her. Yeah. She She's was like, like she was don't like, lie about your uncle. She was like, <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah. You're she fine. Like, I don't trust her. Sorry, y'all. Corey is Corey's on deck for today. Corey's on deck and she may or may not make some racket ruckus. Racket ruckus. But I like you know, she's she's doing good. She's fine. We're fine. Back to Lizzie. Yeah. How how do you lie about your uncle? That's a fuckaroo. Right. Having cancer? Because it's like someone is going to know that, right? Right. And you just don't care. She just doesn't care. That's what I think it is. I think she's like bold. She's selling it. She does not care if people call her out on it. That's so ugly. Yes, it is very ugly. She also told stories of her childhood fear of needles that she says led her to the idea behind a revolutionary new company, which would become Theranos. When she made her way onto the scene, she immediately made a splash. Seasoned venture capitalists started throwing money at her, and prominent reporters called her the next Steve Jobs. Is that because of the turtlenecks, or what do you think? (laughs) I know. A hundred percent. Absolutely. She idolized Steve Jobs, and I think that's exactly what she wanted. If you scroll down to the bottom of this document, I have a picture of her, and I want you to see her. Oh, you want me to go right now? Yeah. Rollington. I actually read a book about her. You did? Yeah. I bought, I picked it up at the airport because that's what rich bitches do is buy books at the airport. Was it Bad Blood? Yeah. Very interesting. I mean... He has a podcast and that's part of how I found out about this. I don't know all the ins and outs. I have been keeping up a little bit because of Michelle's like fascination, right? Yeah. So I'm excited that you're like throwing it all the way back to the beginning because there are things I definitely didn't know. Mm-hmm. But this... She's crazy. She is certifiably... She's crazy. A cuckoo head. (laughs) I think that she's straight up just like... I think that she doesn't care. Like, she just didn't care what people called her out on. Well, I think that that's like... It's like inspired... See, this is the problem with her, is from what I have read, and I'm sure it's like going to be 
like it's it's like she is inspiring. I know in so many ways to so like women in tech and and young like yeah startups, right? But she's just like built it oh, all yeah. on bullshit, and like that is so tragic. And I actually totally I knew you were gonna say this, and I agree with you because. Number one, she was a woman and like, yeah, she was a woman in this. This started happening in like 2003, 2004. Yeah. It was a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. She's cool as fuck. And also it's terrible. If this had been real, she would go down in history as like one of the top women entrepreneurs in tech, like in tech, all of that. But because it's trash, it then creates it's like perpetuating this idea that like young people don't know things and like young people like you know it just sucks well and like suck elizabeth yeah a hundred percent and the idea that like women can't be trusted yeah like she's perpetuating really negative ideas exactly yeah the money women and money women women and and leadership yeah or she totally mastered the art of conning people into trusting her. Like, people saw her as the next big thing. She was a woman, number one, with big ideas, and she knew exactly yeah. how to, like, play people to get them to trust her. And people saw her idea, the the idea behind Theranos, as something that, if it actually worked, it would revolutionize healthcare. Like, I told Eric, if this had been a real thing, I think this would have been one of the biggest healthcare changes of our time. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not yeah. real. <laughs> so the idea behind Theranos was basically this. For patients who needed their blood drawn to undergo a wide array of different blood-based tests, you generally need to draw a significant amount of blood, sometimes through multiple draws, to get a large enough sample to work with. Claiming that she had always been afraid of needles, Holmes initially pitched the idea that she could reap, quote, vast amounts of data from a few droplets of blood derived from the tip of a finger. So instead of having your blood drawn through a vein um, in your arm, basically she could prick, she was saying that she could prick a finger and do up to 240 tests. Yeah. On this finger stick. Right. Okay. So everyone was immediately skeptical. She took this idea initially to a medical professor at Stanford named Dr. Phyllis Gardner. And Gardner was like, quote, I don't think your idea is going to work, explaining that it was impossible to do what Holmes was claiming could be done. And several other expert medical professors told her the same thing. Professors. (laughs) Professors. So... Instead of her relenting and listening to these people, she dropped out and headed to Silicon Valley. And I should note, with no formal medical or science training. (laughs) I know. Yeah, what was her degree plan to be in? Engineering. Chemical engineering. Oh, God. Bitch. So, right. You need a little bit of medicine in there if you're going to do something like this, probably. I don't know. Could be me. Because, like, you know, for all that fertility testing, we I have to – vials and vials of blood extracted from me. <laughs> right. And she's like, I got you. Yeah. One finger prick. Like, I'm sure people were like, hell yeah. Like, it sucks so bad to get blood. People were all about it. And I, like – feel very faint so they have to like give me a juice box yeah i'm that bitch in the the room like please let me lay down i gotta lay down no but that's not that's not uncommon like so many people feel that way that i think that when she started doing this people were like that would make my life better oh that would be so much better number one and number two i think she was like 
her idea was that she would do it for everybody at the same price and it would be cheap regardless of whether they had insurance or not, which is a really noble idea. But it's a lie. But it was a lie. So she immediately started meeting with venture capitalists as soon as she left school, basically claiming that the idea not only could be done, but had already been done. <laughs> like she's alleging very early on that she already knows how to do this. Lying. She's saying that she could take a machine... Right, which could cheaply take a sample from the prick of a finger and run over 240 diagnostic tests to detect a range of illnesses, uh, and that they could be installed at, like, drugstores, so people could just stop by and get their blood tests done. Oh, my God, drugstores. Correct. CVS. Yeah, they actually—this is crazy. Well, I'll get into it, but they end up installing them at Walgreens all over Arizona and California. (gasps) Yep. No. Yep. So she takes this carefully crafted pitch, and by December of 2004, she had raised $6 million to fund the fledgling company Theranos. But she didn't stop there. Because why would you? Right. Because people are throwing money at her. Why would you stop? Yeah. By 2010, she had over $92 million in venture capital money. Damn. So from there, she starts to put a board of directors together, one that included George Schultz, the former Secretary of State, and Henry Kissinger. Jesus Christ. The board of Theranos was eventually recognized as the most illustrious board in U.S. corporate history. And I bet they feel like the stupidest. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) No. Until 2013, she operated as the head of Theranos, and she kept the operations pretty quiet there. Because you are lying. Correct. No one outside of the employees and investors quite knew what she was up to exactly. However, in 2014, she started an all-out press junket and basically became an overnight celebrity. Yeah. She was interviewed by Medscape editor-in-chief mm-hmm. Eric Topol, who praised her for this, quote, phenomenal rebooting of laboratory medicine— that same year, she appeared on the correct. That same year, she appeared on the covers of Fortune, Forbes, the New York Times Style Magazine, and lots of others. Damn, I bet those publications are like, we're dumb. <laughs> oh, you just wait because they all roll out like apologies and retractions and everything. Yeah, they have to. Yep, absolutely. Forbes called her the youngest ever self-made billionaire and ranked her number one ten on the Forbes four hundred. By the end of 2014, her name appeared on 18 U.S. patents and 66 foreign patents. She bragged publicly about a partnership with Walgreens that would put her machines in a store on every corner. Oh, yikes. Theranos started to become, at this point, a household name. And by now, the firm was already burning through an estimated $1 million per week. What? Per week. You only have 92 weeks. Except that she's constantly making more money. So I want you to guess how much money she ended up raising from venture capitalists by the end of it. Billions. Almost. She ends up getting up to $700 million in investments with a company net worth. From a lie. At the peak, the company's net worth was estimated at $9 billion. What the fuck? And she did this. She made this out of nothing. Literally. So Jesus Christ. The other thing is, everyone who gave her even a single cent had to agree to her rules. She would never divulge to investors how the technology worked. Mm, Because you don't know. Because you're not. (laughs) Because it doesn't. (laughs) Because how could you? 
So Google Ventures actually sent a venture capitalist to go try out one of her machines that had already been installed in Walgreens. So he goes to this Walgreens counter expecting a finger prick and has several massive vials of blood drawn for all the tests he checked off that he wanted to have. Yeah. So she alleged that it would be a finger prick. The whole point of the innovation. Right. And it turns out that they need massive vials of blood. And so they start to get really suspicious of her claims that it could that, that she could do this with only a couple of drops of blood to diagnose everything from high cholesterol to cancer. They should have been suspicious of this at the very start like man (laughs) right i don't know about that (laughs) the problem is that she just surrounded herself with people who seemed like they knew what they were doing yeah and and it's like you choose people that other people respect and trust trust you gain their trust and then it's like a snowball yeah that's exactly what happened yeah that's exactly what happened that's exactly what she did and she just sold it like she just said this is my idea and people were like oh it's a good idea and it was a good idea, but it wasn't possible. <laughs> but so is like a money tree. Sure, same. Right. <laughs> so Google Ventures weren't the only people getting, uh, like, starting to smell something fishy. One of her first huge hires had been Dr. Ian Gibbons, who was a British scientist from Cambridge University. Damn. Who had 30 years of diagnostic medical experience. In 2005, she named Gibbons her chief scientist, which seems like a big move, right? As you do. Yeah. Yeah. As you would. As you should, really. Exactly. He was, go figure, one of the first to notice that there were some big inaccuracies in how she was marketing her technology. (laughs) Right. He's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, um, this doesn't work. But ever the scientist, he spent years trying to come up with a solution to figure out exactly why things weren't working the way that Elizabeth said they should. He wanted to come with concrete evidence before he said anything about it, right? So many scientists, engineers, software developers, like they all hitched their wagon to Elizabeth's horse thinking that she was leading them all down the path of greatness. Because again, she's selling it to them like she's selling it to investors. Right. So from the very beginning, she convinced everyone that she actually had, like, a finished product that was already accomplishing the monumental task of using one small blood sample to run all these tests. She starts talking about a contract with the Department of Defense, claiming that pocket-sized versions of her technology could be used on the battlefield. Okay. Right. And she's telling her scientists that this is happening. So at the same time that everybody is questioning it, they're also working really hard to try and get it done. Yeah. It's almost like they're working so hard that they can't, they can't like be distracted by the inaccuracies. They're like working 80 hour, 100 hour weeks. And exactly. She's like, blah, blah. And they're like, I can't fact check that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working really hard. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. This company had, like, the most toxic work culture. So they would do that, have them work these super long hours. But they were also, like, monitoring people's emails. As as you do when you're lying. They were, like, listening to how the company employees talk to one another and making sure that they weren't talking to each other about things not working. Oh, I would have gotten fired. And if they heard people talk about it at the company, no, same. I would immediately get fired. Big fired energy. If they heard people talking about it at the company, they would fire them and call it, like, negative energy. You were bringing negative energy into the workplace. That's actually um, my tagline. <laughs> Brings negative energy. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Is negative energy. Party Generally complains has negative energy is my tagline. Yeah. <laughs> Do not recommend. 
10 out of 10, does not recommend. (laughs) So while she's spinning these elaborate lies, she's also constantly accruing new investors and adding members to the board of directors. Why does she add, why do they do this thing where they add a bunch of board of directors? Is it just like a, it's press, right? I think it's press, yeah. Because she's like, she's like pushing the press hard. I'm always curious about that. You know? Yeah. Okay, just... Whatever. I'm just curious. And it's like, I think it gives her clout to have like, oh, Henry Kissinger is on the board. Yeah. And he wouldn't be involved with something that isn't working, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Employees were given as little information as possible and forced to sign multiple NDA agreements. Multiple? Right? Why do you need more than yes, one? more than one. <laughs> all of them. All of the NDAs. Sign them all. That's how you know some shit is up. If you have multiple NDAs. If you have multiple NDAs... Something, something's wrong. If you're not supposed to disclose, just one will suffice. Yeah, that's a blanket statement, I think. You don't need to. <laughs> so let's talk quick about the board of directors. She deliberately and specifically chose old white men, specifically those that she could meet and easily charm. Almost none of them had a background in healthcare. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Bingo. So none of them would see holes in her plan, right? She commanded their attention, and this group of dudes was just, like, captivated by her. Yeah. So all it took for her was basically, like, eyelash batting and a creative narrative to gain their trust. That's it. Yeah. Well, on brand for old white men. (laughs) Exactly on brand. They were just like, oh, she's young and pretty and seems like she has a good idea. Here's all my money. And lets me call her sweetie. Oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. Don't go there. You go there. Oh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> she lets me awkwardly touch her arm and doesn't say anything about it. Oh, I'm gonna go there. It's oh. my birthday. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Sprinkle it in. Not nice. She's like, yes, that's what I want. All of that. Give me that energy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. According to everyone who worked at Theranos, Elizabeth and all of the higher-ups were obsessed with secrecy. They retained the right to read all employee emails. They spied on their own engineers. And the same reports say that Holmes had an enforcer. Okay. Who are we, the FBI? Scary business. And this guy's name is Ramesh Sunny Baldwani. He's the company's president and COO. And in addition to all of his roles at the company, he was also Elizabeth, Holm- Elizabeth Holmes' romantic partner. As you do. So when employees started to question how well, if at all, the technology was working, it was Sonny who came to their offices to slap them on the wrist. It was also Sonny who ensured that no one at Theranos talked, even to each other, about what they did there. So interesting. One Vanity Fair article says, On LinkedIn, one former employee noted next to his job description, I worked here, but every time I say what I did, I get a letter from a lawyer. I will probably get a letter from a lawyer for writing this. Damn! On his LinkedIn. That's what he said. I love that. Hire that guy. Just up front. Hire that guy immediately. He has a great sense of humor. He's funny. Yeah, he's funny. She filed lawsuits and made outright threats against anyone who disagreed with her publicly or privately and basically would just make their lives hell. Yikes. And she does this all with the aid of their general counsel, Heather King, and that woman is an absolute shark. Why? What? She would go after people like... Corey's very upset about it. Corey. (laughs) What's she doing out there? Corey's like, I don't like a shark. You don't like sharks. So she filed one lawsuit against a former friend and family friend and neighbor... 
The courts issued subpoenas during this lawsuit for the chief scientist, Dr. Gibbons, to come testify, but he refused. What? (laughs) According to one Vanity Fair article, he says that if he told the court that the technology did not work, he would harm the people that he worked with. If he wasn't honest about the technology's problems, however, consumers would potentially harm their health, maybe even fatally. Right. So what do you do? Blow it up. Right. Whistle blow. Honestly, same. So while Theranos was getting ready to open their Walgreens stores around Arizona and California, Gibbons started warning that the, te- that the technology just wasn't ready. Yeah. He became increasingly vocal at work, fearing that if people whose lives depended on these machines started using them, they might actually cause patient deaths. One evening, while Gibbons sat around with his wife, Elizabeth called saying that she wanted to meet with him the next day. He and his wife had this, like, stressed conversation And he was completely beside himself with worry about what she was going to talk to him about. So Gibbons, the chief (gasps) scientist, went upstairs and tried to take his own life. Oh, my God. He passed away one week later with his wife by his side. Oh, my. So murder. Involuntary manslaughter also added to the charges. I mean, nobody knows what she said to him, right? I mean, I know. Based on what he did, it was not good. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. It's crazy. Nah. (laughs) Allegedly. The thing about it is, like, it's not just, like, a theoretical anymore, right? Like, you're actively affecting people's lives. Yeah, 100%. You is crazy. Period. End of conversation. Crazy. When his wife informed Elizabeth's secretary, instead of condolences, a Theranos representative reached out to inform her that it was her legal obligation to return any confidential property as soon as possible to Theranos. Why is it her legal obligation? That's how you talk to a grieving widow. Did she sign an NDA? Oh, good question. No, she did not. I'd be like, bye-bye. off. <laughs> you can't see this, listeners, but Jessica just raised her both middle fingers up straight in the air <laughs> to Theranos. <laughs> Be, be like, get the fuck out of my face. I never signed an oh. NDA. Return it when I feel like it, if I feel like it. Yeah. Right. They also end up going into talks to sue his widow later when she does, um, she starts talking to reporters and they end up threatening to sue his widow with, um, what is it called when you say something bad about Sla- someone? Uh, slander. No. Yeah. Slander. Especially, yeah. Slander. I almost said slaughter. Slaughter. And I knew that was wrong. <laughs> slaughter. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Filing a lawsuit of slaughter against you. (laughs) So while all this was going on, Elizabeth was convincing investors and the director of the CDC that Theranos could quickly and reliably help test patients to stop the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Oh, my God. Correct. Which is an extremely dangerous lie if it were, in fact, untrue or even exaggerated. Because now that we've all been through a global pandemic... You see how these things can, like, slip out of your hand quickly? Yeah. So while the virus raged across West Africa, claiming the lives of thousands, Elizabeth's sudden interest in developing this particular finger prick test probably was not out of altruism. It's likely because she was courting investors who were prepared to drop over $850 million in her company. Damn. Damn. And she was telling them that she had a blood testing device that could distinguish a positive Ebola case before the patient started exhibiting symptoms, and it would do so in 20 minutes. Why is she doing... Like, I feel like she's just... Honestly, I feel like she's Donald Trumping it, and she's just like has the script in front of her and she's like yeah, yeah. i'm gonna say some crazy she things. takes the script she throws it and then she's like whatever i'll just say whatever i want what do i feel yeah how do we feel right how does it feel in the moment let's just feel it out 
So she makes these claims, right? And they get back to her own scientists and engineers who are astonished. And they're like, um, actually, no. <laughs> One of her engineers went on the record later and he was like, the level of, of sensitivity that she was claiming these tests had is actually physically impossible. Right. And if she knew anything about science, she would know that. Oop. Oop. Where did that come from? Who said the that? The truth barn. Not me. <laughs> By the pottery barn right next to pottery barn is the truth barn. That's where it came from. <laughs> truth barn. She needs to take a stop there. Because of this and many incidents like it, word started to get out that the science behind Theranos was just straight up unsound. Yeah. Instead of a machine that actually worked, they often just made tweaks to existing blood testing devices and threw them into a machine that Elizabeth called the mini lab or the Edison device. Oh, wow. She's just throwing Edison's name on things. <laughs> right. Wow. The machines that they had already begun installing were basically just boxes because of how effective they were and how often they broke down. <laughs> in addition to the fact that they allegedly never performed all of the tests she claimed, even in best working order, they only performed 12 tests when she was claiming they would perform up to 240. Why did I don't understand how people weren't like Mayday Mayday a long time ago? I think I literally think she just got people to trust her like people just trusted her. Don't trust anyone ever. <laughs> trust no bitch. Trust no bitch. <laughs> So what they were basically doing is taking these blood samples from patients, a lot more than a finger prick, I might add. Right, the vials and vials, right, from that one guy. Yeah, and they're using just third-party tests. All of the tests that they say they can run, they're just running third-party tests on them. Like, they're just sending them off to other people who can run those tests. Oh, my God. So while Elizabeth was taking private jets to speaking engagements, sitting on panels with people like Bill Clinton, and giving TED Talks in 2015, individual journalists and the FDA started to investigate what was going on at Theranos. As they should. Absolutely. Investigators from the FDA and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services showed up to Theranos blood testing facilities and offices unannounced to ask, can we just get a peek around the facility? Can I poke around here? Can we just... Just take a look. I just want to see. According to Vanity Fair, the investigators, quote, soon discovered that some of the tests Theranos was performing were so inaccurate that they could leave patients at risk of internal bleeding, of stroke among those prone to blood clots. The agency found that Theranos appeared to ignore erratic results from its own quality control checks during a six-month period and supplied 81 patients at least with questionable blood results. But that is nothing compared to how it's going to go in the end. Oh, God. After reading a New Yorker article about the alleged game-changer, Elizabeth Holmes, a seasoned investigative reporter, John Carreyou, who's the one who wrote Bad Blood, the book he read, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the Wall Street Journal began an investigation of his own. The Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist began sifting through publicly available documents, talking to doctors and others who could professionally weigh in on the actual proposed technology, and putting together a story. In 2015, he published an article called Hot Startup Theranos Has Struggled with Its Blood Testing Technology. <laughs> right. Just slinging mud. <laughs> I love it. Shots fired. I love it. I love it so much. Right. It's juicy gossip drama. I love it. So in response to this article, Elizabeth and a group of her trusted insiders oh God. sit inside what they call the war room to decide how to proceed. 
The first suggestion was recruiting scientists to back their work, but that was actually impossible because the company had barred outside scientists from writing peer-reviewed papers on its technology. Because you a liar. Right. Its own scientists and engineers were increasingly skeptical of how Elizabeth and Sonny were selling their technology, later claiming that everything she told investigators was or investors was greatly exaggerated, and some of her claims were even, like I said, physically impossible. Yeah, 100%. So without a plan, Elizabeth does what she does best, and she gets on a jet and starts spinning a narrative. She's like, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about me and my life. She goes on CNBC's Mad Money to be interviewed by the host Jim Cramer. During this interview, she said, and I quote, This is what happens when you work to change things. First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. And also I lie. And also I lie. She also never blinks. It's crazy. Never blinks? What do you mean? She never blinks. Never once blinks in all these interviews. She's like this with her eyes wide open. So next she flew out to Palo Alto to address her employees. An email went out to everyone to gather in the cafeteria and CEO Holmes and COO Baldwani both addressed the employees, claiming more of the same. You guys are changing the world and it was messy work. This is what happens when you try to change things. People are going to come at you. Carrie Rue, the author, they said, was just picking a fight because he didn't understand what they were doing, and anyone who was a naysayer was just jealous of them. Okay, mean girls vibes. Yep. (laughs) Relax. Right. So when they finished this conversation, they stood back awaiting their response from a awaiting a response from their loyal employees. According to Vanity Fair, then a chant erupted, fuck you. Everyone started yelling in unison. Carrie Rue. Soon, men and women in lab coats and programmers in t-shirts and jeans joined in. They were chanting with fervor, fuck you, Carrie Rue. So they all believed Elizabeth's bullshit still. Why? I wish I could tell you. I wish I knew. She's just so convincing with everything she does. It's like a, it's like a mob mentality too, right? Yeah. It's like Stockholm Syndrome too. Totally, yeah. It's like really weird. Well, and all of their jobs rely on this, right? Yeah, 100%. So she also immediately starts bashing and legally strong-arming John Kerryrew, but he never gave up. He went on to write more than 20 articles about the emerging issues at Theranos. Yeah, you can't fuck with a journalist. Right. They'll be like, like, I'll just make this my life, bitch. (laughs) Oh, sorry, you want 20 more articles? Perfect, that's what I love to do. Oh, you want to fuck on me? uh not (laughs) today. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. So... Unable to squash the controversy like she thought she could, Holmes was forced to face the fact when Walgreens severed ties with Theranos and the FDA banned their patented device, the Minilab, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Because it's a box, bitch. It's a box, yes. You're fine. They banned Holmes from owning and operating a medical laboratory for two years. This decision is still currently under appeal. And the FBI is currently running their own investigation starting in 2018. In 2016, the investigations and federal regulations led Theranos to announce that they were closing their laboratories and laying off about 340 employees. About everyone. (laughs) Correct. In 2018, Theranos formally dissolved, but the courts weren't calling it a day after shutting Theranos down. So they started filing civil and criminal investigations Thank God. Yeah, the courts are like, this was step one, bitch. Yeah, this was just part one. I'm taking you all the way down to ground level. This was like the, the, what is it in the book? Like the, 
the intro or whatever. This is yeah. like the abstract. Like, yeah. we haven't even gotten into everything yet. This is you the basis. You just read the table of contents. Correct. We're going all <laughs> right. the way to the conclusion. All the way. Phyllis Garner, the Stanford professor from earlier in the story, said, Elizabeth Holmes won't stop. She's holding on to her story like a barnacle on the side of a ship. A barnacle. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss, Phyllis, because that is just... Barnacle vibes. Mwah. So now the onus is going to be on the courts and the prosecutors in California to prove not only that Elizabeth did these things, but that she did them knowing that the technology to perform these blood tests did not yet exist. Yeah. Yeah. Proving that she knew it. Yeah. Exactly. They have to prove intent uh, to prove like fraud and all this other, you know, criminal negligence, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's going to be hard, given that there is evidence that she would collect investors' blood for a demonstration and send it to other labs for analysis, knowing that Theranos couldn't run all of the tests that it claimed it could. Yeah. I also think, like, there's a level of, I don't know if this is, like, proof or not, but, like, with the amount of secrecy, there's, like, two things. Like, it could either be that you have this top secret yeah. thing, which everyone now knows that you don't have, but then the other option is that you're all full of shit and you're trying to hide it. And, like, that's what it is. Right. Oh, wait until you hear her defense strategy. It's crazy. Okay, so I did I did hear a bit about it because it was on Up First. Okay, good. Shameless plug for NPR. I love NPR. I'll plug them all day for free. No, free 99. Don't even pay us. It's fine. I mean, pay us, but whatever. Don't pay us. <laughs> Nobody does. After once featuring her on the cover... And estimating her net worth at $4.5 billion for her ownership stake in Theranos. And Theranos was created using a combination of the words therapy and diagnose. I bet she thought she was super clever for that one. Wow. Uh, Forbes has now right. removed her from the list of America's richest self-made women and are now evaluating it, her net worth at literally nothing, wrote the editors. <laughs> Nothing. They said zero doll hairs. You get none. None for Gretchen Wieners. She probably was really offended by that. I bet she was. And none for you. Thank you. She's like, this is crazy. She's been doing speaking engagements even after she collapsed. She's wild. John Carreyrou eventually went on to create a book that you read called Bad Blood, and I read, uh-huh. and a podcast also called Bad Blood that I highly recommend because it goes into all of this fuckery in great detail. Ooh. Where he fully details the entire story that I had to condense into like an hour. If you're interested in hearing it all from the journalist who actually uncovered the entire sham, definitely check those out. Love that. In his first episode, Carrie Rue details, me too, how he thinks Elizabeth Holmes' defense attorneys plan on making a jury believe she's innocent. For one, since her trial date was pushed back due to COVID, Elizabeth had a baby. Aww. That's cute. Now. With her COO? No, different partner. Oh, okay. Just curious. Oh, yeah. She and her COO have firmly split and are now turning on each other and saying that saying to the courts yeah. that it's the other person's fault. Yeah, I, that's what I heard. Right, exactly. So going back to her baby real quick, Carrie Rue says it may be cynical to think this way, but what better way to soften your image than to become a new mother? After reading countless articles... And really getting under Elizabeth's skin, I actually agree. I think that rather than doing it just because she wanted to have a baby, did it as a calculating attempt to manipulate public opinion and convince people that she's not a monster. 
Well, can't convince me because you was crazy, bitch. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know. No, you was really crazy. You allegedly had a baby to say yeah. you're not crazy. <laughs> In fact, Carrie Rue's guess is that she plans to pin the entire thing on her COO and former romantic partner, Sonny Baldwani, using what they call the Svengali defense. And in the Svengali defense, so part of it is that they met when she was 18 and he was 37. That's not great. That's disgusting. Number one, there's that. Number two, she alleges physical and emotional abuse and is basically, her lawyers are basically saying now that she was manipulated into participating in a scheme that Baldwani forced her into, saying that she was, quote, the victim of bad men. Obviously, Sonny Baldwani's lawyers deny those accusations. It's a hard one because, you know, I'm like, believe survivors. And then I'm like, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's so tricky. It's it's going to be really hard. And I, I'm very interested to see how the trial goes. But kind of wrapping everything up, as for me, in my opinion, I think she's a classic malignant narcissist who stole millions of dollars from people who either believe she was actually changing the world or those who wanted in on the profit mm. she projected. Yeah. Either way. Her blatant lack of actual ability to do what she was saying she could do was masked for years by her excellent acting capabilities and outright bullshittery. Outright bullshittery is I wrote that in my bop. script, yeah. Yeah, that's a bob. Thank you. That's what I'm going to call this episode. <laughs> outright bullshittery. Outright bullshittery. <laughs> I would love to put that on a post. A t-shirt. <laughs> Calling out the... Outright bullshittery. So ignore the fact for a moment that she stole almost a billion dollars from investors by straight up lying. She straight up endangered patients' lives. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. This is like a classic case of Silicon Valley tomfoolery, except instead of an app that didn't roll out on the right launch date or whatever, Theranos was straight up producing incorrect medical test results. Because of what people thought were miracle blood tests, one person was falsely told he had prostate cancer. Oh, no. One pregnant woman was incorrectly told she had had a miscarriage. <gasps> No. One patient believed for weeks that they had AIDS until they could save up the money to get retested. Oh, my God. Yeah. Overall, thousands of patients received incorrect results, and Theranos was eventually forced to void or correct almost a million blood tests. Jesus Christ. If there's one thing you should take from this entire show, Malpractice, as a podcast, it's that you can't do this kind of thing and get away with it, especially when people's lives are on the line. And even if you can, you won't do it forever. We're going to find you. We're going to find you, and we're going to call you out. We is on the case. We're on the case. <laughs> Damn, I bet you've been wanting to say that for a long time. <laughs> oh, I have. So bad. We're watching out. Somebody has to watch out for these people because they crazy. And John Kerry Rue is like number one on the case. Elizabeth is now facing 12 counts of fraud. And I, for one, cannot wait to see how this trial unfolds. Worst of all, though, text between her and Sunny just surfaced this week. And they apparently call each other my tiger. That's disgusting. Ew. Have you ever heard anything weirder and more disgusting? I hate it. It's like Tiger King vibes. <laughs> Tiger King vibes big time. Also, if you're like me and you can't get enough of this absolute shit show, 
The director, Adam McKay, is actually directing a Bad Blood movie starring Jennifer Lawrence as Elizabeth Holmes, which I think is a mistake because she looks exactly like Judy Greer. Yeah. I saw Scroll this. down. The second picture is Judy Greer. They look exactly the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's the story of Elizabeth Holmes. That's what I know about Theranos. And this has been an episode of Malpractice Podcast. Boom. That's my mic drop. That's crazy. I can't wait to see what happens to her. Me neither. It's going to be wild, right? We'll keep you guys updated on, like, the the trial. We'll do... Yeah, no. Maybe we'll do, like, a little segment where we talk about how the trial is going. But we really should. As always, everything is going to be linked in the show notes, including John Carreyrou's podcast. If you're interested, definitely check it out. And all of the articles that I shamelessly snagged info from. As you should. Boom. And that's what we know about that. If my microphone wasn't expensive, I would actually drop it. Yeah, but no, don't do that. Don't do it. As always, if you want to follow us on our Insta or social meds, please do that at Malpractice Podcast. Email us um, if you have any recommendations. And if you have thoughts on this case or you see any news, you should DM us on the Instagram. Hit us up. And we will share it. Yep. And we'll shout you out. Because that's cool. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't get caught telling lies to the government and things. Don't do it. It's so rude.